Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. We are launching a, a new series this week. Uh, we, anyone love a new series here at Gas Street? Yes, I love a new series. Uh, and I'm super excited to let you know what that series is. If you've been following on social media, you will know already. Uh, our new series is called, I think Ronnie already told us, uh, We're Not Really Strangers. I think it will pop. There we go. Uh, and so uh, this series is all about relationships. We're going to be exploring relationships over the next six weeks. I love what author Dr. Gary Smalley, he says, life is relationships. The rest is just details. And actually, you know, if, if we think about God, the God that we've been worshiping here this morning, right at the heart of who God is, is relationships. We have God, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity reigning over heaven and earth uh, in this beautifully close, harmonious, intimate relationship. And then as we think about Jesus, as we look through the Gospels, Jesus' ministry is played out against a backdrop of relationships, Uh, his relationship with God the Father and, and the Holy Spirit, but also The relationship he has, the close bond that he has with the disciples. And even within the 12, he has these three close friends. We see that in Jesus' life. And then there's the church. I mean, the church is built on relationships. The church isn't a building. We've said this time and time again. The church isn't just an event that you come to. The church is about people. The church is about relationships, our relationship with God, but also our relationship with each other. And as we think about the gospel, the gospel message, we celebrated Easter last Sunday and Nick brought an amazing word reminding us again of the miracle that Jesus won for us on the cross uh, through the resurrection on that first Easter Sunday morning, the miracle of salvation that gives us access to the Father, that we as imperfect human beings can have a close relationship with God the Father thanks to Jesus. It's a miracle, but it's It's relationship that is at the heart of the gospel of what it means to be a Christ follower. And as we read through the Bible, as we read through scripture together, we realize that God actually has a lot to say about relationships, how how relationships with one another work best. And it is totally and utterly implausible to imagine that we can journey through life, that we can journey as followers of Jesus and not be profoundly impacted by the other human beings that we have relationship with. We are going to be affected, impacted by the people that we choose to have relationship with. And the reality is that God cares deeply about our relationships. He cares about who we have relationship with, and he cares about how we live those relationships out. And so that's why we're going to spend the next six weeks looking at it, 
looking at this topic, something that it affects our life on a day-to-day level, the way that we relate to one another, the way that we connect with one another. And as we journey through the next six weeks, uh, one of the things primarily that we're going to discover is that God wants us to enjoy those relationships. In fact, we have been created for connection. That's the title of the message today. We have been created for connection. And so we're going to discover that God's desire, whether we're married, whether we're single, whether we're old, young, whether we're male, female, God's desire is that we would learn to build and enjoy healthy, life-giving relationships with one another. And we're going to discover that the church, this family, this imperfect and yet beautiful family, has the potential to be the perfect environment for cultivating the kinds of relationship that God is longing for us to enjoy and experience. I was chatting to a friend of mine on Bank Holiday Easter Monday just this week. Uh, and this is a friend that I haven't seen for a few years because her and her family relocated to Australia a couple of years ago. And I first met her 10 years ago, 10 years ago when we were at a church called HTB in London, and I was leading a small group on Alpha, on the Alpha course. And this, this woman, my friend, she, she showed up to the Alpha course And I remember on that first Alpha night, she described herself as an atheist. She had been an atheist her whole life. Uh, She would describe herself as like a happy atheist. You know, she had a great life. She, She had lots of friends. She lived a great contented life. But But she was an atheist nonetheless, and then this experience had happened, and it had caused her to question the existence of God, and she'd heard about Alpha, and she'd made her way uh, to HTB, and she found herself in my group. God bless her. I mean, my group, yeah. And she was brilliant. She was a brilliant guest on Alpha. She had like millions of questions, and we had amazing discussions, and, uh, and she went on a journey, and towards the end of the course, she came to her own conclusion that God was real, and that the only logical, the only thing that made any sense was for her to put her faith in Jesus, to make that step of faith and say yes to following Jesus. And she would say, if she was here right now, that it was the best decision that she ever made. But I remember at the time, uh, just a few weeks after she had said yes to Jesus and started following him, uh, I remember her saying that the thing that she noticed, uh, having been part of a church for sort of a, a few weeks by then, what she noticed is that she couldn't get over the depth of friendship that she was experiencing. I remember her saying this. She said, these friendships within the context of the church family... Uh, they're somehow different from the, church, from the friends that I've known since I was young. There is a quality to them that I can't compare to people that I have known for virtually my whole life. And that is the thing about us relating and connecting together as the children of God. In, in Act 2, Luke is telling us, writing about that early church, those first Christians that began meeting together, worshiping together, being family together. And this word pops up that is translated into English as fellowship. They had fellowship together. I don't really love the word fellowship, if I'm honest. It just sort of makes me think about 
slightly cheesy stuff. Uh, and actually, the, the Greek word, the original Greek word is this word koinonia. That's the word. And, and actually, koinonia was used to describe the connection that we have with the Holy Spirit. But what we discover in Acts 2 is that it's also used to describe the kind of connection that followers of Jesus can expect to have with one another. And it's this word koinonia that kind of articulates uh, this X factor that takes place when the people of God gather together, when we relate to one another, uh, when we have relationships with one another. It's this atmosphere, it's something in the atmosphere that kind of articulates what's going on. It's koinonia that explains the spiritual dynamic that is at play when believers connect together, when they forge deep relationships with one another. It's koinonia that that fast-tracks often the depth of connection that we can enjoy as followers of Jesus. It's koinonia that often unlocks honesty and vulnerability with one another. And as my friend said, there was a qualitative difference to the relationships that she found with other believers. That's koinonia. When God is at the center of our relationships. In the gospel of Matthew, verse 12, 50, Jesus says, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. We're called to be family. Imperfect, yes, but family nonetheless. I mean, take a look at each other. Look around. These are your brothers and your sisters. Aren't they gorgeous? I mean, we get, we're stuck with each other. I'm so sorry, but if we commit to being the family of God, we get to be brothers and sisters. And Jesus is giving us an illustration of, of the closest possible bond that we can have with one another. It's a beautiful picture. Not always easy, but it's a beautiful vision for what it means for us to be the family of God together. A few years ago, uh, Tim and I, were at this small gathering for church pastors. And it was a, uh, you know, an environment where we could be kind of uh, fed and, um, and share experiences together and, and get some input. Uh, and I can remember, in fact, I'll never forget the words that Pastor Agu from Jesus House, he's a, a pastor in London, leads a church called Jesus House. Pastor Agu was asked to share a few words of wisdom, to, some wisdom, some bits of advice to his fellow pastors. And we were all listening attentively. And this guy, Pastor Agu, he, he has faithfully pastored a, a growing church in the city center for a number of decades. And as he got up to share his wisdom, honestly, uh, I, thought, I thought he would talk about like reading the Bible more, that we need to read our Bible more, that we, we need to pray more, that we need to fast more, all of which is really important, incidentally. But I remember he got up there and he said something along these lines. He said, in life, in ministry, deep connection with a handful of meaningful friends is absolutely critical because they will be like a storm shelter for you. But, but he said, you have to build the storm shelter before the storm. 
You have to build the storm shelter before the storm because life gets busy. And if we're not careful, the demands and the busyness of life will, will crowd out our intentionality around those few deep, meaningful friendships. Because God wants to use those deep, meaningful connections that we have, those friendships, to be our storm shelter. And the storm will come, right? We know that. The Bible tells us very clearly, if we follow Jesus, even if we don't, the storm will come. We know the storm. It will come. And it's no good trying to build the shelter in the middle of the storm. We have to invest in those friendships. We have to be intentional with those relationships before the storm comes. And for each one of us, if we think about the last two years, we've weathered a, a, a pretty significant storm. Some of us to diff varying degrees, but nevertheless, we've all experienced the difficulty and the pain of the last couple of years. And praise God, it looks like we are almost through the other side, but the sense that we've had as a team, as Tim and I have talked and prayed together and with our team, the sense that we had in leading this church was that as we've emerged from this last season, we just had this sense that people are crying out for deep connection. All the disconnection that has happened over the last two years, longing to experience again in person the joy, uh, the joy of being known, the joy of being seen, the joy of, of being loved, the intimacy of laughing your head off and then just crying your heart out with some close friends, people that know you really well. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Romans 12 says, Romans 12.10 says, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves. John 15.12, Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you. 1 Peter 4.8 says, above all, love each other deeply. Let me be really clear again. Because the danger is that as we hear the word relationships, and we're probably going to hear that word a lot over the next six weeks, we immediately think of it in the context of romantic relationships, of romantic love. And, and again, just to be really clear, everything that we're going to cover over the next six weeks is applicable if we are married it's applicable if, if we're single and would like to be married or if we're single and have made a commitment to celibacy for the, for, for the foreseeable future. You see, God's vision, God's vision for human connection, it's not just reserved for those who happen to meet someone and fall in love and, and get married. No, God's vision for human connection is so much broader than that. It goes so much further than just the context of romantic or, or even sexual love. And yet we know, right, that we live in a culture that is obsessed 
with romantic love, obsessed with sexual love, a culture that hounds us with this message that unless you're in a romantic relationship, unless you're having loads of sex all the time, not only is there something wrong with you, but also somehow you are missing out. You are missing out on the only opportunity that you might have for human intimacy, and it's not true. It's not true. Because God's plan, God's model, God's way is so much broader. I watched a a documentary a couple of weeks ago. Anyone love a good documentary? I'm a big documentary fan. I watched The Tinder Swindler. Yes, I knew that would get a reaction. The Tinder Swindler. Definitely worth a watch. It's really interesting. Anyway, The Tinder Swindler is basically about this dodgy guy who goes onto the dating app Tinder to to meet women, and then he manages to scam them out of like thousands and thousands of pounds worth of money. And this documentary is based on uh, a few of these women sharing the experiences of, of what happened. And the thing that struck me, first of all, is, is the women that are interviewed, they wouldn't like strike you as as what you might think of as a typically vulnerable woman. These women that they interview, they're, um, you know, they're, they're bright, they're intelligent, they're, they're attractive, they've got great jobs, great careers. And yet, it seemed to me that their greatest vulnerability was their absolute desperation for deep human connection for romantic love. They were looking for meaningful human connection. And in the absence, challenge to us as the church, in the absence of anything better being offered, they thought that they would find it in the context of a romantic relationship via a dodgy dating app like Tinder. And you know, as I watched the documentary, I just felt heartbroken for these women. I felt convicted as a follower of Jesus, as a church pastor. Again, just to be clear, there is nothing wrong with having a desire for a romantic relationship. There's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with having a desire to be married, not at all. We need godly marriages. We do. We need godly marriages. But If we think, if we buy into the culture's narrative, if we think that the only avenue for meaningful human connection, the only place that we're investing is in romantic relationships, we are missing out on God's vision. We are missing out because God's vision for human connection is so much broader. John 15, 15, Jesus says these now, famous words, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's, not husband, not wife, friends, friends. And I want to say as well that I know the church, with a capital C, the church has been guilty, I think at times, of overstating the status of marriage and under-celebrating the gift of singleness. We have been guilty of doing that. I'm sorry. I want to say I'm sorry as pastor of this church 
where at this church we have inadvertently sent the message that marriage is somehow the end goal, that, that somehow getting marriage is the completion. I'm sorry, I'm sorry when, when us as a community, where, where as a family we haven't made it easy for single people to find deep connection. I'm really sorry where we haven't done that. We need to do better. And I'm not just talking about the structures. I'm not just talking about like the mechanisms of church, like the groups and, and all of that. I'm not just talking about even what's set up here. Actually, this is about all of us taking responsibility because Jesus says, we're brothers and sisters. We're brothers and sisters. Whether we're married, whether we're single, whether we want to be single or not, we're brothers and sisters. I was really challenged by this description that Ed Shaw gives in a book that he wrote describing his church family. And Ed is a, a single man. He's chosen singleness. He's chosen celibacy. And for him, his church family is his family. He describes having a wonderful biological family, great relationship with his mom and dad and his siblings, but his day-to-day -day family, it's his church. And this is how he describes a week in the life of loving and being known in his church family. He says, I arrive at church meetings and I hug my honorary Aunt Ruth, who's just turned 70. She's single too, and we've talked about how we both miss physical affection, so now in this way, we provide some of that for each other. On a Tuesday evening, I pop over to a family who live just around the corner. I overexcite their children, Charlie and Toby, the latter of whom is one of my 12 godchildren. Just before bedtime, just before bedtime, sorry. Uh, and then I have supper with their patient parents, Jim and Claire. I love sitting down and talking about life with them. Midweek, I try to meet up with a group of church friends, gastric groups, little plug, uh, in a local cafe and catch up on the week. We often mix with single people and married couples. It works best when there's a cross-section cross of people there so that there's more life experience and pizza to share. On a Thursday night, Jack often pops in on his way back from work and we put the world to rights from a single man's perspective. I've known him since he was a young Christian and a student and have had the pleasure of helping and watching him grow into a mature Christian who pours himself into serving. On Sundays, in the time between our church meetings and small group, I go for tea with a couple and their two daughters. I've known Simon and Lucy for over 10 years and was the best man at their wedding. We depend on each other for advice. We know about each other's families and finances and faith. I'm godfather to Kate and have had the privilege of reading many bedtime stories to her. And I've been chosen as a potential legal guardian to both her and her sister Hannah. Another couple invite me on holidays and open up their home all the time. David and Jolsner have cooked about 400 meals for me at the last count. Paul and Joe are often there and have me over for meals too. The three of us also share their son as a godchild. I hadn't got round to making any plans for my last birthday, so the couple I lead a small group with, Paul and Helen, organized a party. 50 church family members came with just two days' notice. John and Avril are my parents' age, but have become some of my closest friends. Although John's skill and speed at Scrabble has tested that friendship at times. <laughs> I could go on and talk about Tim and Ali and Jay and Rosie and Phil, and have people I can ring up who ring me up at 10 p.m. so that there is someone to talk to when I get in after a long day. They know how often I find this time particularly difficult. 
Last time I was sick, I needed a switchboard operator to, to cope with all the offers of help. My freezer is still stocked up with the soups and casseroles that people brought around. God has very kindly put me in a family of all people, of, of people of all different ages, backgrounds, and circumstances. And we are slowly learning to be family, to be, to be family to one another. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that should just be normal, right? And yet, tragically, it isn't. It isn't all the time. And the reality is, you know, I, I think about my life. I think about my relationships. Tim, Tim is my closest friendship. Tim is the, the deepest earthly relationship that I have. And, and I'm married to Tim. So it would be kind of weird if that wasn't the case. But, you know, early on in our marriage, we realized that, that we, we as individuals, we also needed other close friendships. You know, I couldn't be everything that Tim needed. I am terrible at golf, for starters, and vice versa. And so as we begin to dive into this series about relationships, I want to ask a question. I want you to ponder on this just for the next few moments. How would you define a meaningful relationship? What for you are the hallmarks of deep human connection? I posed that question to our staff team, uh, a mixture of single people and married people, uh, and we came up with a whole bunch of answers together, and this is what we came up with. So, so the hallmarks of deep connection, someone with whom no subject is off the table. No taboos, they can ask me anything. Someone that I can disagree with and it doesn't affect the friendship. Someone who has seen the very best of me and the very worst of me. Someone I can pray with. I mean, that sounds so simple, but I wonder if there are many people in this room and beyond maybe your gastric group, if you're in one, maybe there's no one that you can pick up the phone to and say, could you just pray for me? It's a powerful, powerful dynamic within a friendship. Someone who will keep your confidences confidential. Someone that you can just sit in silence with. Someone that you don't feel the need to tidy up for. That is one for me, for sure. Someone that is equally invested in the relationship. Someone who knows what you need when you're stressed out or hurting. Someone who is familiar with your love languages. If you don't know what love languages are and you haven't read the book, read the book. Really helpful, really helpful. Someone who values your opinion even if they don't agree with you. Someone who doesn't try and fix the problem, but is happy just to sit with you and say, yeah, that really sucks. Someone who takes delight in your successes without any hint of envy. Someone that you can be 100% yourself with. Someone who knows and understands your history. Someone who you've disclosed every part of your story to. I wonder what you feel as you listen to that list. Maybe what it makes you feel is, I don't have that. Maybe you feel bereft of that kind of depth of connection. 
Maybe actually what it does as you read that list, it's, it's almost painful because it taps into that deep longing, that deep desperation that you have for meaningful human connection, for intimacy. But here's the challenge. Are you that for someone else? Are you that person for somebody else? Luke 6, 31, Jesus says, do to others as you would have them do to you. Because the danger is when you read a list like that, we can begin to feel entitled. We can think, what? I deserve that. Why don't I have that? It's everybody else's fault. Like I'm doing, I'm doing this, but everybody else, it's the church's fault. That's a good one. It's the church's fault. You know, maybe we feel aware, actually, that there are key relationships in our lives that we have neglected, that we realize we do have a part to play. Maybe we become aware for some of us that there are key relationships in our lives that just feel broken right now. Something's happened, some division, some disconnection, and they just feel broken. I read a survey that said 97% of people would like to improve the quality of their relationships. And you know, as I've prepared this message, on the one hand, I, I felt so grateful for the key relationships in my own life, so grateful uh, for those friendships that God has put in my life, those storm shelter people. But I've also felt painfully aware of my shortcomings as a friend. I've, I've been painfully aware of the way that I haven't at times prioritized the people that mean the most to me, where when I've let people down, when I've, I've caused people hurt. You know, this vision that God gives us for human connection, it has the potential, it has the capacity to be so life-giving, so life-enriching, so life-changing, and yet I reckon every single person in this room can bear witness to the fact that it's not always easy. My goodness, it is not always easy. And so we want to encourage you, would you journey with us? Would you journey with us over the next few weeks as we mine God's word for his wisdom on relationships, as we invite the Holy Spirit to come and bring clarity, to come and bring healing where it feels like there's brokenness? We're going to speak into some of the things that maybe sabotage or undermine the depth of our human relationships, like, like ourselves. Often it's us. How self-aware are we? How aware are we of what we bring into a relationship? The baggage, you know, the narratives or the mindsets that we bring in to our deepest human relationships. Are we perhaps deliberately choosing to stay in the shallows when it comes to relationships? Maybe we feel afraid or too bruised to step into the deep end of our relationships. How do we go deeper? How do we go deeper? Are we thinking long-term? when it comes to our relationships? Or are we just thinking of the quick fix? Are we investing for the long term? Are we equipped to deal with conflict or disconnection? When our relationships hit a, hit a roadblock, do we just run a mile? Do we stick our head in the stand? Do, do we put up the walls? Do we ghost people when we hit a problem? Are we asking God which relationships he is calling us to invest in? Because God might surprise you with the answer. Proverbs 13, 20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Proverbs 27, 9 says, The pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Have we let 
individualism, again, a marker of the culture that we're in right now? Have we let individualism cause us to become self-centered, to, to constantly put our needs first, or controversially, the needs of our nuclear family? I wonder in the church, sometimes we make an idol, we idolize the nuclear family, we become so protective of me and my 2.4 children that we don't allow others in. It's a challenge to us as a church family. Or are we simply just too busy? We're too busy, we've got too much going on to be intentional about investing in our key relationships, those storm shelter people. So are you up for it? Are you up for going on this journey? Because I believe that God wants to speak to us. I believe he wants to minister to us that we would go deeper, that we would go deeper because this isn't just for us. This isn't about us getting the blessing. And my goodness, deep connection brings such blessing. But the picture is bigger than that. Because Jesus says, they'll know me by the way you love each other. That's, that's going to be the primary witness. They're going to know me by the way you love each other. And so this is about us being a missional church. This is about us showing the world what deep human connection can look like, not just in marriage, not just in the context of romance and sex, but so much broader than that. I want to end with this. I'm aware of the time. And then we're going to pray. You know, I, I love Brené Brown. If you've been around here for any time, you'll, you'll know that. I love a bit of Brené Brown. Uh, and I love this illustration that she gives in her latest book, Atlas of the Heart. She talks about this idea of candle blower outers. And it's, a, it's an image, it's an idea that she shared with her kids. Uh, and she would explain to her children that we all have a flame. We all have a light inside of us, our soul. It's our, our God-given identity. And, you know, we want to be around people. We want to be around friends who can say, wow, what a beautiful light you've got. And we want to be friends. We want to get be people that can look at other people and say, wow, what a beautiful light God has given you. And we need friends. We need people that are going to protect that light. They're going to shield it and nurture it and allow it to grow and burn brighter and brighter. But there are also people who want to blow that light out, candle blower outers. And we want to be people, we want to be friends who don't do that, that protect the light. And you know, for us as a church family, wouldn't it be amazing if we cultivated a, a whole church family of people that protect the light, no candle blower outers, that we, that we encourage one another, that we fan the flame of this light that God has given us so that when we go into the world and we meet those who want to blow the candle out, we feel equipped and prepared. You know, Proverbs 12, 26 says, the righteous choose their friends carefully. God cares about our relationships. We are created for connection, not just for our sake, but for the sake of his kingdom. Let's stand for a moment and pray. And the good news is, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to have lots of time to pray. 
I do really believe that God wants to go deep. He wants to journey with us. He wants to speak to us about this area. And it, it might be, it might be this is tricky for you. For a whole host of different reasons, this is tricky. I want to encourage you, journey with us. Journey with us. Allow God to speak and to heal and to bring transformation. Why don't we pray? Again, I, I just want to encourage you, uh, if you, if you feel happy to do so, to put your hands out, maybe to close your eyes. If you're new today or visiting, there's no expectation for you to do anything that you don't want to do, so relax. If you're here and you come with an expectation that God wants to speak to you, this is a great way to just say yes. And I want to challenge you that if you're a follower of Jesus and you're part of this church and you haven't come to church today with any expectation that God's going to speak to you or bring transformation in your life, I suggest that's a conversation that you probably need to have with the Lord. So let's allow him to do it. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. You know us better than anybody else. Come, Holy Spirit. Would you speak to the depths of our hearts? It might be that in your own words, you just need to say to God, I, I just choose to drop down the walls. I choose to let you in, God. It might be that as I've been speaking it does feel quite triggering for you. Maybe, as I said, for some, you're just, all you can think about is, is this one relationship that just feels broken and you feel powerless to fix it. Maybe for others of you, what it, what it does is it, does, it taps into that longing. It's like a deep longing that you sort of, you manage to keep a lid on most of the time. But as we've been talking about this, it's like you feel it again, just that deep desire for human connection, human intimacy. And so often what we do is we just hide those things from God. We sweep them under the carpet. They're too painful. It's too painful. And yet, God in his mercy, in his kindness, he says, bring them to me. Open your heart to me. Bring them to me. Sometimes with God, it's not just like a quick fix. He doesn't just come in and change the situation entirely. Sometimes he does. Often, he wants to journey with us. Come, Holy Spirit, speak. Speak. Maybe you're aware in this moment of how bruised you felt by a particular relationship. Bring that to him. Maybe the Holy Spirit is bringing a sense of conviction, not condemnation, but conviction. You know you've, you've let someone down or you've caused hurt and the Holy Spirit is just gently saying, bring that to me. Let me forgive you. Maybe there are some married people here and you know that your 
marriage is difficult right now. And you do need intervention. You do need God to come and bring some intervention, some breakthrough. This picture that Jesus gives us as a, a family, brothers and sisters, it, the implication is that we can be honest and real with one another. We can stand with one another, not in judgment, but in grace and mercy and kindness. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you want to find out more, visit our website gastric.org or follow us on Instagram at Gastric Church.